So, Lord, uh, may we be light and may we be truth to others. And uh, even as we read the word, we see that you want to work in a powerful way. So, Lord, I pray that we're encouraged tonight in, in every way as you minister to us your word and help us to be teachable. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So last week in chapter 37, we only got through the first seven verses of the chapter. And of course, in chapters 36 through 39, it is talking about that time that Hezekiah comes to be the king of Judah. And as he's the king of Judah, about 715 BC, the 10 northern tribes have already been taken off into captivity. That is the house of Israel. And when they went off into captivity, keep in mind that not all the Jews had fish hooks that would that were put into their mouths and drug off. Some of them were, but some of them were left behind. And then some of the Assyrians would come and uh, intermarry with the Jews. And that was the offsprings, the Samaritans, as I've mentioned to you. So as you read the Gospels, you see that the Samaritans are mentioned and they were hated by the Jews because of all that history. And, and there's a lot to it that we don't have time to go into it. But you can trace it back to when the Assyrians came and settled into the area where the 10 northern tribes, the house of Israel was. So that's 722 BC. And we know that um, in 715 BC, Hezekiah becomes the king of Judah. And he is the king after uh, they had gone through some, some terrible times. And his father Ahaz was on the throne. And Ahaz was a terrible king. He had polluted the land with idols and, and brought in uh, every kind of false doctrine and astrology and, and um, you know, every kind of, of, of idol worship that there was. They were even burning their children on the arms of Moloch in the Gehenna Valley. And he had closed off the temple and he had made an uh, idol there to put into the temple that he, he saw the king of Assyria worshiping up in, uh, in Damascus. So it was a bad, terrible time. And even when Ahaz was king, it was the, the 10 northern tribes of Israel that came in and, and did a lot of damage to Judah and took some people away captive, and they would end up coming back. The Edomites came and, and were defeating the, the, uh, some of the cities of, of Judah. The Philistines were uh, becoming a problem. So they are very weak. And here comes Hezekiah. And he immediately calls for the priests and the Levites. And they begin to clean all the trash out of the temple, get rid of all the, the idols. They burn them in uh, the Kidron Valley. He, he gets rid of the high places. That is those places of worship where there was idol worship being taken place in great immorality. And he begins to multiply and have the, the spiritual leaders uh, give the word of God to the people. He celebrates the Passover. So great things are happening under Hezekiah. He was a really good king. And all of a sudden, the Assyrians in that you know, time from 722 to 20 years later, about uh, 701 BC, about 21 years, that they were coming into the 10 northern tribes. And they also, their mighty army that everyone 
cowered at because they were so massive and, and so powerful that they were ones that were making their way towards Jerusalem. We know from the historical books of Second Chronicles and Second Kings that they took some of the cities of Judah captive, those fortified cities, and all that's left is Jerusalem. And Hezekiah, as he sees that they're at Lachish, that they're close to Jerusalem, he takes some of the gold, he takes some of the silver out of the, the house of the Lord and pays off. It's Shennacherib at this time in history who's the king of Assyria and, and pays tribute to him and tries to pay him off to keep him from coming to Jerusalem. But Shennacherib surrounds Jerusalem. He, he took the gold and silver. And we talked about that's one of the tactics of the enemy. The tactic of the enemy is to try to get you to make a peace treaty with him. To, to compromise. And also, as here comes the Rapshaka, the chief of staff, that comes as the troops begin to surround Jerusalem, and he's hurling these threats against Hezekiah and the people that are locked into Jerusalem uh, with the gates shut, and, and they're on the wall, and the Rapshaka is, is coming and hurling these threats against Hezekiah. And the people are hearing this. And here is the Rapshaka mocking uh, Hezekiah and, and mocking the God uh, of Hezekiah, the one true God who created heaven and earth. And he begins to intimidate. And he's causing confusion. And he is getting the people uh, full of fear to where they're just gripped with that fear. And as I have discussed in our previous studies, that the enemy uses those same tactics with us. He will bully us. He will intimidate us. He'll try to confuse us. And one of the powerful tools, remember that Paul said to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, don't be ignorant of Satan's devices. And he will come against God's people, which means he's going to come against you. And he's going to, you know, intimidate, and he's going to bully, and he's going to try to bring confusion in your life. But one of the main arrows as he throws those fiery darts at us that he has in his quiver is he tries to get you to be gripped with fear. And he knows that if you become fearful that you're going to start to, you know, fold, become weak, and make bad decisions. And we see that they're full of fear, and then he begins to try to, in his deception, get them to rebel against God. Hey, you need to compromise. You need to surrender. Come on out. And everything's going to be okay. You're going to go to a land that, you know, has vineyards and fig trees. And you need to just surrender to me and, and do what I tell you to do. And the enemy does the same thing. He wants us to surrender. Have you ever felt like waving the white flag because the enemy's coming at you so hard? And, and we can get to that place. And here's the thing. As we know that it was the men of Hezekiah, it was that went out to, to listen to the Rapshaka, it was uh, Eliakim, and it was Shabna, and it was, um, you know, Joah that was listening, and, and they didn't say anything. They went back to Hezekiah and said, this is what he said. He wants you to surrender. He's going to destroy Jerusalem. And they're very much afraid. But then we see, as we opened up last time, chapter 37, that when the king, let's read it again, Hezekiah heard it, that he tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. It's so important that when we have the enemy that's really attacking us, the one who's the accuser of the brethren, who accuses us, 
day and night. Even as even as uh, Pastor Travis was sharing tonight in worship, that you know he accuses us. You're you you know you are this way, and and why you know even bother you know thinking that God loves you. He 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 intimidates and bullies. And what Travis did is he went back to the Word of God. And he sees the compassion of Jesus there in the Gadarenes as, as those two demoniacs uh, were uh, demon-possessed, Matthew tells us. And then Mark focuses on the one, and he delivers him. And you go and tell. Go back to your home and tell them great things that the Lord has done and the compassion that he has shown them. And the Lord desires for us to listen to him, for us to just surrender to him, to yield to him because he wants to work in our lives. He wants to free us from the attacks of the enemy and, and the, the, the bondage of the enemy. He, he wants to free us from all those things. So he went to the house of the Lord. And there's a time, listen, this is what's really important. That sometimes that when we face the trials because the enemy's coming against us and he, he's doing these tactics against us, which he does constantly, that we're so busy listening to him that we're not really giving any time to listening to the Lord. And that's why it's so important that we go to the house of the Lord. That's why it's important that we read the word of God, to, to listen to the voice of the Lord, to, to be ministered the word of God. And, and we know that those guys went back to Isaiah and Isaiah said to them, you know, uh, go back to Hezekiah, say to him, don't be afraid. And the words which you've heard uh, with the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Now I'm going to send a spirit upon him that is the king of Assyria. He's going to hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. So the word comes back, don't be afraid. And we know all throughout the scripture that we are told that we don't have to be afraid. And as we hear the, the voice of the Lord, as we read the word of God and his promises for us, it begins to strengthen us and it begins to minister to us in such a wonderful way. So I pray that we would remember when the enemy's really coming against us, when the enemy is really pounding on us and, and, and uh, the accuser is the brethren who accuses us day and night, it says in Revelation chapter 12 that they overcame him by what? by the blood of the lamb and the word of testimony that we can say listen you know you can try to accuse me all you want but i have an advocate with the father jesus christ the righteous and i belong to him and i am forgiven and he loves me and his promises are true for me and to begin to set your eyes on him even as we talked about on sunday that as we run our race to put aside every weight and sin that ensnares us fixing our eyes on Jesus, setting our focus on him and allow him to minister to us in the way that he, he does so effectively as we just uh, in every way begin to pray and as we go to his word. So here is uh, where we've traveled so far. So let's pick it up at verse 8. Then the Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria warring uh, against Lebna, for he heard that he had departed from Lachish. And the king heard concerning Terhaka, king of Ethiopia, he has come out to make war with you. So when he heard it, he sent messengers to Hezekiah, saying, Thus you shall speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, Do not let your God, in whom you trust, deceive you, saying, Jerusalem shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. So here's 
Hezekiah, he gets word from Isaiah the prophet that, hey, he's going to hear a rumor, he's going to hear a noise, and a spirit's going to fall upon him, and eventually the king of Assyria is going to return to his homeland, and he's going to be killed. The details weren't really uh, told to him how that was going to happen. So all of a sudden, here is this, this commander from Ethiopia, as you look at it, that, that he's mentioned here um, in verse 9, uh, Tarhaka, king of Ethiopia. He is actually commanding Egyptian troops. Now, keep in mind, if you've been with us in our study, that it was in chapter 30 and chapter 31 that God's people were looking to align themselves with Egypt. And we talked quite extensively about that because the Lord said, Woe to you who seek counsel, but you don't seek counsel of me. And you're going to Egypt, you're seeking Pharaoh's wisdom, you're seeking the soldiers of Egypt, you're looking at the fast Arabian horses, and they are not going to help you. And you recall that when they came out of Egypt, you know, under the, the leadership of Moses, that when they came into the wilderness, the Lord said to them, don't go back to Egypt. And here they are looking to Egypt, and the Lord is calling out to them to, to return to me, but you wouldn't come. And returning to me is going to be your strength. And you're going to find rest. And as you wait on me, I'll be gracious to you. And I'm going to bless you. And then as you come to me, as you wait on me, then you're going to hear from me. I'll be a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. Go to the left and go to the right. So it's important that even as we saw at the beginning of the chapter, Hezekiah goes to the house of the Lord. We're going to see the prayer of Hezekiah here as these threats continue. So what we see here is all of a sudden, here is the Ethiopian troops, the Egyptian troops, that try to make this attempt to come against the Assyrians. They leave Jerusalem for a little bit, and they go to take care of them. And, of course, the Egyptians and the Ethiopians, they were no match for the Assyrians. They didn't help Hezekiah. Just as the Lord said, they're not going to be a help to you. And Hezekiah, maybe he's thinking, okay, that they left. Uh, they're not here. Maybe that's how the Lord's going to take care of them. Maybe that's how the Lord's going to defeat them through the Egyptians and the Ethiopians. But the Lord had already told Hezekiah it was going to happen that way. So the message comes back to Hezekiah, I'm coming back. Don't think that we've left. We're going to come right back. We're going to surround Jerusalem. And who is this that you are trusting in Hezekiah saying that Jerusalem won't be delivered into our hands? That's another tactic of the enemy. Listen, he will keep coming at you. He doesn't take a day off. Do you know that? He doesn't say, you know, I think I'll leave Pastor Jeff alone for, you know, the next few weeks. I've been kind of working him over. He's going to keep coming back and coming back and coming back at you, at your family, at this church. And he's going to come back to bully, intimidate. You know, once again, he's saying, who, who is this, this, you know, uh, Hezekiah leader uh, saying that you're city, Jerusalem, is not going to be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. 
You know, who is this God that you're believing in, trusting in? He continues in verse 11. Look, uh, you have heard what the, the king of Assyria has done to all the lands by utterly destroying them. And, and shall you be delivered? And, and the gods of the nations delivered, whose whom my fathers uh, have destroyed, Gozan and Haran and Rezpes and the people of Eden who were in Tel Lassar, and were the king of Hamath, and the king of Arpad, and the king of the city of Seraphim, uh, Hena and Iva. And Hezekiah received a letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. Then Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, saying, So here is, again, these threats coming from Assyria. Don't think that uh, you can trust in your God, that he's going to be able to help you. Uh, and the other nations, their gods, didn't help them. And the king of Assyria makes a mistake to include the God of Israel with the other false gods. And you see, there's only one true God, and that is the God that we believe in. And there will be those that will come to you in your trials and difficulties when Assyria is breathing down your back and is knocking at your door. That They're going to say, God can't help you. You're in a mess. How can God help you? If, if God could help you, you wouldn't be in this mess. And, and they, 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 you know, begin to say, you know, God can't help you in any way. And we need to remember that God is our help, that he's our strong tower. He's our refuge. He's everything that we need. And I pray that we would remember that our God sees us. And we're going to see the prayer of Hezekiah now as we know that Hezekiah, again, he took that letter, he spread it out, and he went to the house of the Lord, and he's praying, and they're seeking the Lord. And that's what we are to do. We are to seek him. And in this prayer, we're going to learn some things about this prayer. And whenever you go through the prayers of the men and women of faith and their praises, it really can we can learn so much from them. And that's what... I hope that we do as Hezekiah here again in verse 15 prayed to the Lord saying, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God and you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth you have made heaven and earth. And incline your ear, O Lord, and hear, open your eyes, O Lord, and see and hear all the words of Shennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. And truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they destroyed them. And now, therefore, O Lord, our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord, you alone. There's so much that is in this prayer as we begin to look at it. And we see, first of all, that it is Hezekiah that he establishes and, and recognizes their relationship with him as in verse 16 that, that you are the God of Israel. You're our God. You're the God of Israel. We have relationship with you and we have relationship with the same God, the one and true only God, the creator of heaven and earth. And we have the spirit of adoption, as Paul writes in Galatians and also in Romans, that we can cry out, Abba, Father, because we belong to him. We have relationship with him. 
And isn't that amazing? I mean, think about it. And that's what Hebrews has really been pressing that point of who Jesus is and what he has done for us in being the perfect high priest. And his, you know, ministry um, is a superior. He's superior to any religious leader. His sacrifice was superior. His priesthood superior. All these things that we've gone over over the last several weeks in the book of Hebrews. And what does that mean for you and for me? It means that we can come into his throne room in the throne of, of grace in time of need to receive grace and mercy because we have relationship with him, right? And then chapter 10 tells us that we can come boldly into the Holy of Holies, that is, into the presence of God with confidence because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And I hope that we never forget that, the relationship that we have with our Father through Jesus Christ, and we are sons and daughters of the living God. Isn't that wonderful? You see, when we present Christianity, we're not presenting religion. We're presenting that you can have relationship with the true and living God. That you have relationship with Him. And what a privilege and, an, and, and a great opportunity that we have to have relationship with this powerful, almighty God who created heaven and earth, even as Hezekiah understood that. We have relationship with you. You are the true God. You're the God of all the nations. And know this, that Jesus Christ, that he is going to come back, even as we've already read some of the prophecies that Isaiah has given to us and will continue to read, that he's going to come and rule and reign over all the nations. And I can't wait till that time. He's the one that's going to be sitting upon the throne, the throne of David. It's not going to be Confucius. It's not going to be Muhammad. It's not going to be Buddha. It's not going to be anyone else. It's going to be Jesus Christ who's going to establish his kingdom. And we get to rule and reign with him. Why? Because we have relationship with him. We have such a wonderful future. And he's the one that rules in a thousand years, in the millennium reign, but he is also on the throne right now. And he's the one that's in control. So as we continue reading here in, in this prayer, you're the one that, that you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth, incline your ear, O Lord. Uh, here, open your eyes. I want you to know this, that the Lord hears you and he sees you. Have you ever thought, Lord, do you even see me? what it is that I'm going through? Do you ever hear me? You know, do my prayers just kind of bounce off the ceiling? And he does hear us. And there was that message that was given to Judah when they were off in the captivity that Jeremiah, that he gave to them. And, and we're familiar with uh, those verses in, in chapter 29 uh, that he says, For thus says the Lord, they needed to be encouraged. They were off in a captivity. They're probably thinking, the Lord has forgotten about us. So Jeremiah wrote a letter to them to encourage them. And the Lord says this, that I know my thoughts did I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. I will be found by you. Isn't that a wonderful promise for us? That as we pray to him, he hears us, and he sees us. And he says to you, I know my thoughts towards you. They're thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. He's our future and he's our hope. 
And he's a God that hears us as we go through the Psalms, which we did, you know, uh, last year, uh, going through those Psalms, how the psalmist uh, says, you know, and praise, incline your ear to me. And, and David in so many of those Psalms saying that, Lord, you heard me. He hears us. He sees us. He knows what we're going through. And to know that he is the one um, that um, is uh, the one that desires to be glorified as we see here as he ends the prayer in, in verse 20. But he realizes, Hezekiah, that the other gods, that, you know, you can't compare it to our God. Sure, you defeated those nations, but those gods are false gods. They're just idols made by men's hands. And so they were destroyed. But our God is the true God. And save us from the hand of all the kingdoms, verse 20 again, of the earth. May know that you are the Lord, you alone. The Assyrians... And may all the nations know that you are the Lord. You know, when Moses was told to go to Pharaoh, the Lord said that Pharaoh is going to harden his heart. And, and Pharaoh would harden his heart. And then it says the Lord hardened his heart. And he would say to Moses that I'm going to show Pharaoh that I am truly the Lord. And it's going to show the other nations as well as I bring you out with my mighty hand. And the plagues came down upon Egypt. They were the most powerful empire at that time. And, of course, the 10th plague, the death of the firstborn and Passover was instituted at that time. And they came out of Egypt. And, and we know that as they did, they were backed up against the Red Sea. That's where uh, Pharaoh hardened his heart. And, and it says the Lord hardened his heart. I get a lot of questions about that. When you go through the book of Exodus, it says the Lord, uh, or it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. He hardened his heart. He hardened his heart. He hardened his heart, I believe, eight times. And then it says that the Lord hardened his heart. And people say, well, you know, why did the Lord harden his heart? The Lord was just confirming what he already did. And he had all that opportunity to turn to the Lord as those plagues were coming down. The water turned to, to blood, the, the frogs, the, you know, all those things that were taking place, the lice, the darkness. Yet he refused to turn to the Lord. And we know that as he hardened his heart, it was confirmed hardness of his heart. It got so hard. And, and, and then he sends the Egyptians after the children of Israel. And, of course, the Red Sea opens up, and, and they cross on dry land, and then the Egyptians were drowned. It was 40 years later that, who was it, that we just read in Hebrews chapter 11, Rahab. We know as the spies came and she's hiding the spies. Uh, I know that, that the Lord has given you the land here and that he truly is the Lord because he drowned the Egyptians. We heard for what happened 40 years ago. It was a testimony that the glory of God would be revealed through what he did to the Egyptians. And yet they would harden their heart, those of Jericho, except for Rahab and her family were saved. Fast forward 400 years after the drowning of the Egyptians in 1 Samuel chapter 4 when they brought out the Ark of the Covenant, the children of Israel, to do battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines said, oh no, they brought God into their camp, the one who drowned the Egyptians. What are we going to do? And it's amazing to me that even after 400 years, they, they still knew the story. They, they were fretting in all of this, but yet they refused to turn to the Lord. What we see here is we're going to see that the Lord is going to work in a mighty way 
to destroy the army of the Assyrians and Shennacherib, as we're going to see, and I'm giving you a little preview uh, of what um, the chapter ends with, is that he goes back to Nineveh and he had time to really think about it. He had time to think that, man, I met the true and living God who sent one angel and destroyed my army, but yet he refused to turn to the Lord. So when we pray for people, here's the thing, that as we have the difficulties that we go through, and as we have Syria that surrounds us, that the Lord wants to be glorified through you. Do you know that? Through the trials and difficulties that you go through. And sometimes we think that the enemy is going to wipe me out and do me in, and that's going to be the end of it. But God wants to work in a way that through the trials and difficulties that he may be glorified. You see, Paul wrote about that in 2 Corinthians. And in 2 Corinthians, he writes about his ministry, that he writes about what he's gone through, and he's more personal in 2 Corinthians than any other epistle that he wrote. And he talks about the difficulties that they went through. And he writes this, and many of you are familiar with these verses, that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. And we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in her body. Listen, I want to encourage you, for you who feel down, who feel like the Assyrian, the enemy, is really coming at me, and he's going to do me in, and he's going to wipe me out. Listen, the Lord sees you, and he hears you, and he wants to work on your behalf. You look to him, you turn to him. And here Paul writes about that we were hard-pressed, we were perplexed on every side. He starts the epistle by saying that we went through tribulation and, and we went through to where we were pressed on every side so much we were even despaired of life. But he says something very important that I want us to always remember. That we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Earthen vessel, a, a clay jar. We have this, this excellence. It's, it's not us, he says, but what is the treasure? The treasure is the Lord who dwells in our hearts. And as we go through the difficulties of life, that that excellence may be manifested in the trials and difficulties that he may be glorified, he may be seen, the reality of the Lord through our brokenness. What we see here that is told to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I think we see illustrated in the book of Judges under the study and under the story that is of Gideon. Most of you know the story. Here is Gideon. The angel comes to him and says, Mighty man of valor, the, the, the Lord wants to use you to free the Midian, you know, the children of Israel from the Midianites. And Gideon's going, who, me? I'm the least of my family. My family's the least of my tribe, and my tribe is the least of all the tribes of Israel. I'm the least qualified person. But we see that it is the Lord that wanted to use him. 
So they're going to do battle against 145,000 Mennonites and their fast camels, and they're coming and they're taking all the crops, and they're, uh, the children of Israel are living up in caves up in the mountains and all of this, so terrified. So Gideon blow the trumpet. He blows the trumpet. You know the story. 32,000 men come down to fight. The Lord says, you got too many men, Gideon. You need to tell them, anyone who's scared, that they can go on home. Well, 22,000 of them put their tails between their legs, and they head back to the hills. That left 10,000 against 135,000 Midianites. Not very good odds. The Lord says that you still have too many men, Gideon. Uh, you know, you'll get the glory, and I want to get the glory. So you have them go down to the brook, and whoever cups their hands, you're going to keep. Whoever dives in and starts, you know, lapping the water like a dog would, uh, they can go home. So all of a sudden, now 10,000, most of them dive into the water. They're, they're lapping it up with their tongues. And, and I can just picture Gideon going down the road, 10,000 men, saying, oh, Lord, there isn't any. Oh, there's one guy. And here's one guy. All of a sudden, only 300 are left that cup the water. And I've told this story before. I used to think that, you know, those were the elite, you know, fighters that, you know, are watching and cupping the water and bringing it up to them. I, I think what really what they were, and maybe I think this because I'm getting older, they're the old guys, you know, with the bad backs and bad knees, and they got to cup the water up. And the Lord said, I'm going to use them. <laughs> That's your army, Gideon. So this is the plan. You 300 ragtag renegades, you take an earthen vessel, you put coals into it, you're going to huff and puff up the hill, surround the army of 135,000, that is, Midianites. And at the sound of the trumpet, you're going to break those clay pots. And when they did that, that as the air would rush in and hit the coals, the light would go forth. And they had a great victory. It was through the broken vessels that the light went through and the glory of God was revealed and they had great victory. And we earthen vessels, the brokenness of our lives, the Lord desires for his light and his glory to be revealed for you to have victory. And it seems like, you know, the Assyrians, which is this mighty army surrounding Jerusalem, there seemed to be no hope. Just like it seemed like there was going to be no hope for Gideon and his 300 guys against 100, you know, and 35,000 Midianites in their fast camels. But there was a great victory. And guess who got the glory? The Lord. The Lord wants to use us in our weaknesses and in our frailties. Because we have this excellence as in earthen vessels that his glory may be revealed through us. Even when we're hard-pressed and perplexed and in despair, we feel like we're being crushed, but we're not forsaken. And the Lord is there for us that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. You know, many of you, you go up to Rocky Mountain National Park, and when you get up to Timberline there on Trail Ridge, there's the bristlecone pines. And the bristlecone pines are all 
twisted and, and gnarly uh, because of the winds that blow up there and the snow. The weather is so very harsh. But what is interesting that you'll see that there are those artists that are up there, maybe perhaps they're drawing one of those, they're painting them, they're taking photographs of them, the photographers. And they even when you go into the galleries of Estes Park, you'll see you know just the, the beauty of this bristlecone pine, you know, that they've taken a picture of or drawn, and many people buy them because they love the art, and you see there was a beauty that are in those trees, even though of the harsh condition and the winds of adversity blowing on them, and the harshness of the weather up there, there's a beauty. And you see, as you have the winds of adversity that blow on you, and the hardness of life, and the trials and difficulties, as you go to the Lord, and as you trust in Him, and as people around you are saying, God can't help you, and the enemy is attacking you, and trying to bully you, and bring you down, and confuse you, I want you to know this, that He's the true and the living God, even as Hezekiah understood that. And He's the one that hears you, and He sees you, and His promises are true for you, and He wants to work in a way that not only is he going to mature and strengthen you, but that his glory may be revealed in you. There's too much Christianity today about what's in it for me and prosperity teaching and, and all of this. And, and it's unfortunate when the Lord tells us all throughout his word that he wants to be revealed through the brokenness of our lives and these earthen vessels, these clay pots and You know, I can be pretty clayy, earthy, dusty, you know. But he wants to use the weak and the foolish things of the world. Travis talked about a life verse. I'll tell you one of my life verses. That God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He's chosen the weak things of the world to put down the strong. And the things that are not to bring to naught the things that are, that no man may glory in his presence. And when people see what is being worked out in your life, you see he gets the glory. And they say, I want to know about your God. I want to know about the true and the living God is working in your life. So if you're really going through it, will you rejoice? I know it's hard, it's difficult, but you have the opportunity to reveal the glory of the Lord and the light of the Lord through the brokenness of your life and the difficulties of your life. Even as Paul was doing that, And I pray that we would trust in the Lord and what he is doing in our lives. And not only trusting in him, but we would rest in him and rest in his promises. It's not always easy. The enemy is still knocking at the door. But we have victory in Jesus Christ. And he desires to use you in such an incredible way to work in your life. Trust in him. Look to him. Don't fold. Don't go to Egypt to look to align yourself with Egypt, you look to the Lord, whose word is true, and he wants to work in such a wonderful and powerful way. Well, you know, I was hoping to get through chapter 39, but we're not even going to finish chapter 37. So the Lord has a message for Shennacherib. We'll finish it next time. But Father, we do thank you so much for, this is a word perhaps for somebody here tonight. That, Lord, that we always have hope in you. And I thank you that we can go through these verses. And in the, in the trials or difficulties or 
when we feel hard-pressed and perplexed and downcast, that you're still there. And you love us. You promise you'll never leave us or forsake us. Through the hurts, and we have a hole in our heart when we're confused, that we can fall back on what we do understand. And that is that you are true. And Lord, that you alone, you alone, you are God. Of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. And Lord, knowing that there's nothing too difficult for you to work, may we just rest in you, our stronghold, uh, our, our refuge. Lord, to cry out to you, even as David said, when I'm at the ends of the earth, when my heart is overwhelmed. So Lord, I thank you that we have a relationship with you through Jesus Christ. And Father, I just pray that we would never take that for granted. Lord, that we have the true and the living God that dwells in our hearts with the spirit of adoption that we can cry out, Abba, Father. And how you desire to work in such a wonderful, powerful way that we may not fully understand it, but we can embrace the fact that we have this excellence in earthen vessels. It's not of us. But that the glory and the life of Jesus Christ may be revealed through us. So, Father, may we go out of this place being strengthened by you and encouraged by you. Bless everyone here. Lord, I pray that you would help us as a ministry to proclaim light and truth, to have compassion on others, to tell them that there's a God that loves them, to send his son to die for them on the cross that their sins can be forgiven and they can have eternal life and that he's the one that's going to sit upon the throne, none other. Pour out your spirit. Lord, use us in our workplaces and in our neighborhoods and with our family, out in the field, in the offices. Lord, wherever we're at, that the reality of Jesus may be seen and the love of Jesus may be perceived. And I want to pray if there's anyone listening to this message, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, that he loves you, he died for you, and wants to forgive you and save you, that he is Lord, and he is your Savior. There is none other. And today is the day of salvation. You can't save yourself. It comes through nothing else. So Lord, I do pray if there's anyone here, if it means anything to you, that you would surrender your life to Jesus today and ask for forgiveness. That you would pray, Jesus, I come to you a sinner and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died for me on the cross. You were put into a grave. You rose again in your life. So forgive me. And I ask that you sit upon the throne of my life as my personal Lord and Savior. And I want to walk with you and know you. And Lord, I want to serve you all the days of my life. I thank you for this new beginning. 
and for hearing my prayer and for loving me in Jesus' name. And if anybody did pray that prayer, if you're listening on live stream or on the radio later, then give us a call at the church. But if you're here today, we're going to have a prayer team up front to tell them the decision you made. But Lord, as we leave this place, may you just bless us and encourage us knowing that you go with us. So Lord, we thank you for tonight and for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.